Chapter fifty five of Dead Men's Shoes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Dead Men's Shoes by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter fifty five. Epilogue. All through the rest of the summer weather, till the leaves change from green to red and yellow, and the sturdy oaks slow to bud and last to succumb to time the destroyer, have put on their russet livery. Sybil lies in the chief bedchamber at Cheswold Grange, sick nigh unto death. She has broken down utterly now that the struggle is over, now that all the storms are ended, and her frail bark safe in harbour. There is no violent illness, no raging fever of brain or body, only an extreme prostration, which for a long time baffles the skill of an intelligent physician and a careful family doctor. She lies in the bright, pretty bedroom, with its old panelled walls painted pale pink and cream colour, its needlework pictures, its quaint furniture, and many relics of a departed generation. There is a wide window opposite her bed, that extends from ceiling to floor, and through this she listlessly contemplates the fair landscape, the smiling garden, the autumnal glory of the park. She suffers little pain, except such weariness as attends extreme prostration. She is at peace, and even declares herself happy. I have lived long enough, Alex, she says one day, when her strength has ebbed to the lowest point compatible with life, and the doctors have begun to despair of the efficiency of the pharmacopoeia in this particular case. Alexis, deeply moved, sits by her bed, and holds her feeble hand in the dim autumn twilight. I am content for my earthly race to finish here. You have forgiven me. That is enough. But have you no thought of me, Sybil? Is it kind to talk like that? Dear Alex, you have been more than good to me, but I have not forgotten what you said that evening, of our meeting in the old room at Mrs. Bonny's. Love is dead, you told me. That was said under the influence of anger, Sybil. I thought it was true, but sorrow soon fastened the old knot again. Sorrow and peril reunited us, Sybil. And do you really love me? I know that you have forgiven me, but are you sure you love me still? Very sure, as much and as truly as I ever loved you in old Kensington Gardens, under the elms, when I told the Hazelton children fairy tales, and my life and yours seemed as sweet a fairy tale as any of those old nursery stories, and as sure of a blissful ending. Oh, Alex, is that the truth? As I live, darling. Then I think I shall make an effort and get well, replies Sybil, with a sigh of utter contentment. I have been willing to glide gently out of life, believing that however good you were to me, I could never hope to win more than your forgiveness. But now I shall try very hard to get well. She keeps her word. Whether her illness has reached its natural turning point, the tide of life flowing back to its source, or whether the ardent desire of the patient to live helps the work of recovery, the medical man cannot say. But from this time there is a change. Slowly but surely health and youth come back to the pale wan face. The lovely eyes lose their glassy lustre and grow bright with happy thoughts. Faint gleams of carnation flit like the shadow of a sunset cloud over the marble pallor, then linger, and warm the pallid cheek into life and beauty. Your love has won me back from the grave, Alex whispers Sybil, four or five weeks after that talk in the twilight, when the family doctor, that very Mr. Scalpel, who attended Alexis after his accident, has declared that Mrs. Secretan's recovery is absolutely marvellous. When Sybil is out of danger, Richard Plowden, who has been a faithful friend and comforter throughout this time of trouble, 
and has acted as trot's chief nurse and playmate into the bargain departs somewhat abruptly upon a journey the business and destination whereof he does not reveal to his dear friend alexis it's a little bit of a trip i've been meditating for a longish time he says i'll tell you all about it when i come back i think i shall start to-morrow you'll write to us while you're away of course dick well yes if i can manage it replies mr plowden with rather a sheepish air but you mustn't be alarmed if you don't hear from me i shall be moving about from place to place you see and i may be out of the way of post offices off the beaten track you know good gracious exclaims alexis are you going to the centre of africa is my modest geographer coming out as a second sir samuel baker alexis is too much occupied with his wife's recovery just now to be very curious about his friend he thinks dick's movements are somewhat eccentric and that is all perhaps he objects to my being here says sybil who has learned to think very humbly of herself of late object to you sybil why you must know that he is absolutely devoted to you and has been almost as anxious as i was during your illness he was prejudiced against you before he saw you out of affection for me poor fellow thinking that i had been hardly used but when once you came back to love and duty he was your slave for about a month nothing is heard of richard plowden and alexis is beginning to feel somewhat uneasy about his friend's fate when he receives a letter in dick's neat hand posted at cannes my dear friend writes richard when i left you and mrs secretan so abruptly i was departing upon so daring and wild an expedition that i felt too much ashamed of my own audacity to tell you my errand i came to the south of france to discover whether there was any hope of my ever winning by long years of patient devotion the dearest and best purest and most unselfish of women you had told me to hope in the day of my despondency and i had hoped although i scorned myself for my foolishness in hoping at last i told myself that it was worse than foolish to go on hoping and dreaming i must put it to the touch and win or lose it all as montrose says so i came here found my sweetest linda working industriously at her art pensive but not altogether unhappy she was delighted to see me not for my own sake you may be sure but because i could tell her all about trot how i have blessed that dear child she was never tired of hearing me talk of him i spent all my evenings at her aunt's house such a dear old lady the aunt talking about trot and a little about art and science and literature and my own small views and ambitions what happy evenings they were well alex i am too proud of her too ashamed of my own unworthiness to tell you much more i can only say that god has been very good to me that i am more blessed than ever i hoped to be that if i had been born in the dear old fairy times which i have told trot so much about that i have grown almost to believe in them myself if i had been the special favourite of some omnipotent good fairy and had had a talking bird and fortunatus's purse and an invisible cap and a flying carpet and the princess with the golden locks for my bride i could not have been one whit happier than i am or more astonished at my own happiness i am in such a state of surprise that i am doubtful of my own identity and hardly feel sure that i have any right to sign myself your faithful friend dick plowden very happy are alexis and his wife one sunny morning early in december when sybil leaning on her husband's arm and with trot at her side makes her first round of the cheswold domain the hoar frost whitens the lawn and meadows yet there are late roses still blooming on the wall 
Alexis insists upon his wife seeing everything, hot-houses, stables, piggeries even, and Sybil inspects and admires rapturously enough to content an exacting lord of the manor. It is all lovely, she exclaims, and what is best of all, the place suits you, Alex, and you suit the place to perfection. You seem to have been made for a country squire. How strange it is to know that Providence held this in store for you in that bitter time at Mrs. Bonny's, while I was waiting for a dead man's shoes. You, who never cringed to any man or courted any inheritance, have been blessed by fortune. The End End of chapter 55 End of Dead Men's Shoes by Mary Elizabeth Braddon